Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. A Baker's Dozen at the Zetland Hotel by Ian Gordon Chapter 6 The Choir and the Fire Pip Farmington asked far too many questions of the plain-looking hotelier when he arrived at the Zetland Hotel. He was a bit of a history buff, and issued queries by the dozen. Who built the hotel? When was it built? Who was the Earl of Zetland? What, for that matter, was the origin of the word Zetland? Shetland? How are the Shetlands connected to Redcar and Cleveland? Etc., etc. But the hotelier was unfazed by the experience. Not once did the expression on his face falter throughout the bombardment. He remained as cool as a cucumber, and listened with the patience of a saint. Eventually, the hotelier was able to distract his latest guest by unhooking the key to room six from the key rack behind him. Six, eh? Pip blurted. How good is that? Thick layers of zeal coated his every word. It's quite good indeed, sir, came the insipid tones of the hotelier. Moments later, Pip was following the brown-suited man in the direction of room six. Grand place, isn't it? he observed, ogling the subdued tapestries embellishing the corridor. Yes, the hotelier agreed indifferently. Showing Pip to his room, the hotelier conducted his routine tour of the suite, and once again issued the warning regarding the mysterious occupant upstairs. The guest in room thirteen must not, under any circumstances, be disturbed. But unlike the others he had cautioned, Pip blurted, "'Why's that, then?' "'That,' the hotelier answered, "'is the business of the guest in room thirteen. "'Oh,' said Pip, deflated. And off the man in the brown suit plodded, returning to his station. Left to his own devices, Pip, a forty-five-year-old teaching assistant from Beverly, studied his surroundings with fervor. He was very excited indeed. Christmas was holiday time. Every year, he'd take off in the old camper van for a week or two, exploring the countryside. He worshipped the cold, blossomed in the rain. He'd travel as far as a fortnight could take him, within the confines of Great Britain, of course. This year, he was on his way to Northumberland, had a hankering for Kielder water straddling the England-Scotland border. A UFO hotspot, allegedly, not to mention the lost villages purported to lie at the bottom of the lake. Pip was a high-strangeness enthusiast. He loved all that stuff. Travelling north on the A174, he'd spotted the Zetland from the comfort of his van, an intriguing structure sat atop a small hill by the sea, a building he'd never noticed before, despite having passed through the area many times previously. Little did he know the place was a hotel, a hotel with availability for the night, no less. 
And there he was, appraising the soft furnishings belonging to room six, the chic net curtains, the fluffy throw straddling the leather club chair, and the plethora of colourful cushions on the four-poster bed. He had a genuine interest in such things. As a matter of fact, there was very little the balding teaching assistant didn't find interesting, or so he was often inclined to say. And then there was the Christmas tree, a Nordman standing in the corner of the room by the bed, modestly decorated with bright red baubles and gold tinsel. Pip was especially taken by this. Red and gold were his colours. While others would consider such a thing purely coincidental, Pip saw deep meaning in this. The hotel resonated with him. The tree had been decorated this way to please him. After all, hadn't the Zetland called to him from the main road? His happening upon the hotel was anything but coincidental. Pip decided to take a stroll through the hotel. He left his room on the ground floor and wandered into the library, accessed via the entrance hall. The reception area had been empty as he passed through it. A shame, really, as he was eager to pick the hotelier's brains with regards to the decoration of the tree in his room. The library was a humble space. It was a windowless room, some twenty feet square, with, naturally, row after row of books adorning the walls. But something else caught Pip's interest a large inglenook fireplace on the north wall. It was a monster of a fireplace, he thought, a real beauty. In red brick, the hearth yawned before him, a salubrious fire burning within. And over to it he immediately went, his arms outstretched towards the flickering flames. It was so inviting. He sat cross-legged in front of it, listening to the crackle and snap of the logs therein. There was a rhythm to it, he thought, below which a low drone could be heard, just barely. But the drone intensified as he listened, and as it did, Pip began to discern its composition. It was made up of hundreds of voices, all of them bleeding together, male and female, each of them, it seemed, humming their lowest audible note. The result was appalling— a dreadful, dissonant noise that once perceived was impossible to unhear. The choir in the fire held Pip in its appalling grip, and as he sat there, rooted to the spot, he wondered just what it was that he'd fallen prey to. To whom did these voices belong? From where was this hideous cacophony emanating? From the inglenook? The fire itself? Or from some other place beyond his ability to comprehend. The ghastly drone persisted, and now, in the flames before him, their incendiary dance framed by the gaping maw of the inglenook, Pip saw faces, terrible faces belonging to conical heads, all teeth and hollow eyes. These were the singers, the choristers of the fiery choir, humming their horrible melodies, teasing their victim. The razor-sharp teeth chattered as the low notes vibrated. The shadowy eyes captured his as the ardour of the choir reached its zenith. And then there were words, articulated by 
familiar voices. Remember me, Pip? Remember what you made me do? It was David Arnold, an old school friend, perished in a prank involving a supermarket trolley and a bus. I saw you, Pip. Looked up at you the whole way down. Why did you let me do it? Susan Buckley, a college roommate, jumped to her death from the Humber Bridge. They're not worth it, Pip. Leave them be. Chi Lee, a family friend, died defending Pip in a backstreet pub brawl. Why, Philip? Why didn't you help me? You could have saved me. His very own mother choked to death at the kitchen table. Go away, Pip yelled. All of you, leave me alone. But still, the drone persisted, the menacing sound penetrating his gut, making him wretch. Accidents, misunderstandings, not my fault. I'm not accountable. And he was right, truth be told. He wasn't responsible for any of the deaths that had occurred in his company. But the guilt he carried was a burden that he had always struggled to bear, a burden that haunted his dreams day and night, a burden he attempted to mask by donning a bubbly persona and mock bravado. Mastering himself, he closed his eyes and sought a means of escape from the threatening choir that held him in place. Tears rolled down his cheeks as he saw the faces of the dead, the forlorn facades of those who had whispered to him, their reproachful words seared into his mind. But he refused to give in to them again, and instead climbed to his feet, turned his back to the ingle nook, and simply strolled away. The man that emerged from the library thereafter was different. He'd come face to face with his demons in there, an encounter he hadn't the energy to consider. Back to room six he went, heedless of the subdued tapestries that had so interested him just a little while ago. Nor was he concerned with the soft furnishings in the suite. He just wanted to rest. A part of him believed that the experience belonged to a dream he was having, a horrible nightmare from which he was desperate to awaken. He climbed onto the big bed, adopting the fetal position. Thoughts of his dead mother filled his head as he plunged into a dreamless sleep. Thanks for listening today. Join us again tomorrow for the next part.